0: doc good morning john how you doing you don't look like jamil don't feel like jamil you're much better looking actually. oh good don't let him hear that hopefully <laughs> he's still over on the european continent yeah well Tim this morning uh, it's oktoberfest in martin yeah it's time to brew all right so uh, hopefully i will shed some light on this for you uh this is one of the first styles or probably the first style that uh i used to break into the lager realm uh it's uh pretty decent beer it's uh a lot of a lot of building in this beer. It's not a very simple beer. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I've had a lot of different forms of this one through through the years, and I think I've come up with a pretty good recipe that I like, and most people like this one too. Uh, in fact, uh, last year I brewed this one with Bob Schwartz, and it made it into the second round of the NHC. Nice job. So it worked nice. up. I was pretty proud of that. And he was too. So <laughs> it's a little um, competitive. In fact, when I first brewed this one for at least the final recipe with this one, J J D J Fair liked it so much that it, uh, he wanted to use it in his lineup. He probably is right now, but we don't know it. Yeah. Well, uh, I've talked to Morgan about it, and he wanted to dry it out some. Okay. So he's changed it here and there, and up and down a few things, and uh, you know that's what all home brewing's all about. Mm-hmm. And brewing is you know make make it yours. So. Well, let's get into this, a uh, little bit of the history on it. Uh, Oktoberfest and March, and I'm going to treat those pretty much as the same thing. Yeah, it's the uh, same. Totally. If anybody asks you what's the difference on that, you can just say pretty much it's the same thing. Uh, basically, it has to do with October and March. Uh, back uh, when, they used to not brew so much during the summertime. Well, uh, well they didn't of, have refrigerators. So. They, yeah, they, they couldn't do it. I'm sure they could have done it in the ice caves and things, but mm-hmm. I think there's so much more flora. And things in the air going around in the summertime that they would get a lot of sour beers, mm-hmm. a lot of things so they brew all all winter long, and some of the last beers that they brewed, which ended in March needed to last mm-hmm. cold in the caves all the way till they started brewing again in October so uh, they would actually up the gravity and uh, these they so they could lay them down a lot longer right and so during the summer they'd be drinking what they had or the, what they brewed in the months prior to that one, and then the last beer, they bring it out with a bang. Yeah. And even though Munich tries to lay claim, I think, to making this style up, it, if you really look back far enough, it's more linked. Uh, it started in Vienna, and a lot of these, you know, that's why they kind of group these together, uh, the Vienna, Marzen, and mm-hmm. Oktoberfest, because they're all are pretty similar Uh like uh, just the amber lagers, European amber lagers, and it's changed a lot. It started, you know, in the early 1800s when they started uh, isolating the lager yeasts. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's kind of come here and come there as far as gravities and finishing gravities, alcohol thing, it's been up and down. Right. So it's kind of forked off, and the Oktoberfest is more more of a southern German thing now than the Vienna. Vienna is a little bit lighter, Hmm. a little bit mellower. Uh, Modern examples are, you know, lower gravity, but the higher attenuation than their historical counterparts. So um, they brewed them higher before, but it it didn't attenuate quite so well. So it's been, it's changed even since the 70s. Well, it's still open to style, though. You can have a lower or high gravity, though. I'm just talking about, you know, the historical aspect of it. Uh, originally it's credited with, uh, Gabriel Saddlemyer, uh, and he adapted it from the Vienna style mm-hmm. in the 1840s. And again, it's typically brewed in the spring, signaling into the typical brewing sessions and, uh, and make it through the warm summer months. And just happened to be that, uh, you know, the Oktoberfest festival that they've started, that's you know, become one of the beers. Well, they brewed for a mm-hmm. giant party. Yeah. And that, yeah. that's a big thing when they tap the first barrel. Right. So that's come up. Let's go over some vital statistics for it. Uh, Original Gravity, 1050 to 1056. Finishing Gravity, about 1012 to 1016, which is trying to get pretty low with one of these beers. Uh, We'll go over some some things to help get it down there. Uh, With a big malt-based beer like this, uh, you can stall at 1025 if you're not careful, Mm -hmm. uh, being a lager and big malt-based beer. IBUs, uh, 20 to 28. SRM, about 7 to 14. So you got a pretty good latitude in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, alcohol, 4.8 to 5.7. Those are general statistics. Uh, so let's go over some of the other things. Uh, flavor, aromas. Uh, it's, basically, the aroma is going to be rich, malty, that kind of stuff. Uh, light to moderate. You can get some toasted malts in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the better ones I've tasted, the people have actually... Toasted their own. Malt. Really? Yeah. Their own base malts? Mm-hmm. So a lot, lot of people try to experiment doing that one. Interesting. Uh, you got a clean lager aroma. You don't want any fruity esters, no diacetyl. Uh, no hop aroma. This isn't a hop-based beer. It's all malt-based. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and if too much caramel. you got to be careful of that. Most of uh, the recipes are going to have some caramel in it, but you got to be careful so it doesn't dominate. Mm-hmm. That's not what you really want to have here. It's going to be dark golden. Deep uh, orange-red color. You want it clear, though, for a darker beer, but you still really want it clear. And flavor, it's going to be, initially it's going to be malty sweet, but it can be finished dry or moderately dry. That's another thing with with uh, helping your yeast out to get it to be that dry. Uh, noble hops are usually what you want to use flavor it. Low to none, balanced towards malt, that kind of thing. Uh mouthfeel. It's going to be a medium body beer. It's not going to be really chewy, but a, a creamy malty texture mm. to it. Uh, smooth. Well, yeah. it's usually malty up front and it right. finishes relatively dry. It, it won't be a thin beer, but you don't want it to be chewy like a wee heavy. No, something no. like that. And that's it's a lager. That's what you're going to have come mm-hmm. through with that one. Uh it's going to be basically soft, complex, uh, but not Overly sweet and nasty, right? So that, don't overdo with your crystal malts, right? That's that goes back to a lot of a lot of these things are going to interplay with this and and how you're going to get it drier with the yeast. Don't overdo it with crystal malts, and we're, we'll go over here a couple of things on how to how to get in and you know build these things. Uh, commercial examples: you're going to Pauliner Oktoberfest, uh, which is what we tried last night, uh, Hackersore, Iinger. Uh, Hofbrouwen, Spotton, they all pretty much make one. You got some Gordon Biersch, Sam Adams. Although Sam Adams is a little bit weird, but it's got some late hopping in there. Never no, had Sam Adams. But one thing—if you taste all these from Germany—they're going to be a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Uh, some are going to be drier, some are going to be sweeter, some are going to have more maltiness uh, or more mouthfeel. There's a wide range in this, so there's no exact copy of of what it should be. But gen- it's kind of a general idea. Amber lager. An amber saying. lager, right. right. Yeah. And when it comes down to it, you probably won't brew the what you're looking for the first time. But it's a, there's a lot of things to play with in here, and it leaves for experimentation. Well, it's hard to do well and balanced. Yeah. No. So it, it, it has to do with what kind of beer you want. Mm-hmm. I tweaked it to the point where I what I want, not necessarily what somebody else's idea is of it. Would you say this beer is a session beer? No. No. Not generally, no. Okay. Uh, it's it's pretty easy drinking. drink. It though. is. It, it is easy to drink, but it's going to be a little higher in alcohol. Right. And it is going to be a little more filling because of all the malt. Right. Uh, well, and All the residual, yeah. Hmm. I mean, it's not like you can't have a few of them, but <laughs> I... Knocking back ten of them might get you in a little trouble. Yeah.
1: Well, I've had yours, Doc, and it's very good. No, thanks.
0: Yeah, I've great. had yours. Yeah, thanks. So mm-hmm. uh, let's uh, go on. Uh, let's uh, look at some of the ingredients, what we're going to be doing. Uh, the Martins are going to be a malt forward beer. Just keep that in mind when you're making one of these or trying to design this one. Hopping uh, hopping's going to be pretty simple. Uh, pretty much two hop additions, one for bittering, and then one probably in the last 20, 10 to 20 minutes of the boil, just uh, for a little hop flavor and a little aroma. Right. Uh, you want to have, you're shooting for a moderate bitterness and a low hop flavor and aroma. Uh, I like to build a, a lot of malt complexity in this type of beer, so I like, to, it's almost a kitchen sink beer. I like to throw a lot of stuff in there. Mm-hmm. Start with some main things, and then move it up from there. Uh, the base malts are going to be. I, I group them into two two things. Uh, one group is going to be two row and pilsner, and the other group is going to be the Munich and Vienna. Those are all considered base malts. Right. So the first group, uh, I used to like to try to keep it about 50%. Uh, two row and pilsner as that group. You can make each one of those within that group whatever you want. 10% uh, two row, 40% uh, Pilsner malt, and then go with the the next group which is the Munich and Vienna. And you can vary those up and down within that group to make up about 40% of the rest of the malt bill. And then you want to throw in some kind of crystal, um, maybe, uh, possibly some, uh, carapils and get that going. Uh, about another 10%. You can tweak those up around a little bit. Uh, Dan Gordon, when he was in here, uh, his basic recipe is going to be about 50% pils, 40% munich, and 10% munich. Mm-hmm. Well, traditionally pilsner malt was what they used right. in, in the style of beer, but you'd be amazed
1: how much changing your base malts really does change the malt profiles.
0: Sure, there. right. Yes. And so this is a, the first place you'd probably want to be playing around with everything. Is try to stay in those two groups. Uh, group the two row and the pilsner together, and group the munich and vienna together. Mm-hmm. And play with each one of those keeping each group at the 50 percent for the two row pilsner and the 40 percent for the for the munich and by changing those up and down you can really tweak the recipe sure uh you could even i've even heard of M- martin's being almost all munich beer uh, all munich malt yeah why not you know and it can convert itself. It has enough that you, it wouldn't be good if you use a lot of adjuncts or other things right. uh, because it doesn't have quite mm-hmm. enough enzymes to really convert everything, although it'll convert itself. right? But uh, too much Munich, and in, in my experience, is you're going to get, it's almost a cloying sweetness mm-hmm. too much. And then you got to start playing with other things to kind of balance that well, would out.
1: Would it finish relatively high in the final gravity? No, not no?
0: necessarily. Okay. That, that has to do with your mashing, mm-hmm. things like that. But it, it has to do with, we're we're trying to build a malt complexity here. Mm-hmm. That's why we're going to use a lot of malts well, in this.
1: What about the Vienna? That tends to be higher in color. Would you want it? Maybe it,
0: it's lighter in flavor though. Okay. So I usually try to use that to cut back on the Munich because the mm-hmm. Munich's going to be a lot stronger of a flavor. So rather than using you know for that forty percent of Munich Vienna using all all Munich, I like to use some Vienna to kind of lighten that that right. flavor profile up some. I did have a
2: question for you about the color from here, okay. whether or not you like uh, a lighter or a darker color on your Martins. One of this person's favorite is the uh, Iinger Oktoberfest uh-huh. Martins, which is one of the darker ones. And I'm just curious what you like to do. I like it darker.
0: Uh, I like it close to 10 in the 7 to 14 range, or, or maybe even up to a 12. I like it to be clear enough or light enough so you can see through it until it is so clear. And, but I'd like it to be dark to have that kind of visual impact to it. And which malt are you playing with to, to do that? Is that the Vienna you said? Uh, Vienna and Munich and uh, your Kara Munich and Kara Vienna. All of them will give you the Kara color. And, and actually, you can get darker. You can use some uh, chocolate malt. I like chocolate malt mm. in certain beers. Or Carafa. Um, but you, if you're going to use chocolate malt, stay low, like one ounce oh, okay. in, uh, in your mash. To do that, what I like to do is take the chocolate malt, grind it into a powder, mm-hmm. and after the mash is almost done, I sprinkle that on the top and then recirculate through that.
2: Huh? And how how much can that actually change your color? How it, many SRM would quite can a, do quite a bit. No kidding. Yeah. Just an ounce. Yeah, wow.
0: as long as you grind it up, because I'm only putting it in there for color, and I only I put it in the mash late. And I sprinkle it on the top. Mm-hmm. And then I recirculate over the top of that.
2: Mm-hmm. Now, it's such a small amount anyway. Why wouldn't you just put it in for the whole thing? It's not as if you're changing the fermentables or anything, then, right? For the whole mash. Um,
0: I I don't like putting that much powdered stuff into my mash. Okay. I worry about it filtering. Okay. You'll get more flavor too from it when it mashes longer. You'll get yeah. more flavor impact. I don't really want product. the oh, okay. chocolate flavor coming through. This is mostly just for color. Okay. Right. I mean, especially when it's that low for an ounce and in, in five gallon something like that so gotcha that, that that's one good way i've learned to change colors on mm-hmm. beers is to use something powdered like dark mm-hmm. carafe would be good too uh but i'm not really putting it in there for the flavor no just color and you can put a little more a little less just to just to change the coloring mm-hmm. of it so again this is an experimental beer for anybody that's not brewed one before right. uh use the guidelines here Know what your uh, ingredients are going to be and how each one's going to affect that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of know what two rows about what pills or malts about. You all use those uh, Munich and Vienna. A lot of people haven't used those before. I really like to use Maris Otter base malt yeah. with a blend of
1: malt. I think you get a, some a darker color in it, but you get more body and more mouthfeel, and a slight biscuit edge to it too, mm-hmm. which complements I think the the Caramunics and the Caravines. Well,
0: well, some of the uh, malts that I'll use are aromatic. I'll use some of the crystal malts. Uh use some some carapils that help with the mouthfeel some. What but what do you think aromatic does to your beer? It like, I gives it a little bit of biscuit. It, uh, it does? Of, yeah. Uh, like you don't want very much in there, just enough to kind of like, – you want to use a little bit subtle biscuity. You don't want to have that one be wet up front. That's not what this beer is hmm. about. But, again, it, it adds to the complexity of the, of the base malt. Does it contribute
1: at all to the malt aroma that you smell? You're going to get some of that too.
0: Okay. So,
1: I was wondering if that's why they call
0: it aromatic. Couldn't tell you exactly <laughs> why either. they call it aromatic. It's, most people use it for the flavor okay, more than so. anything else. Hmm. Okay. Uh, so that, that'll that pretty much get you in the ballpark for most of the base malts and and well, some of these things. Some of the other uh, crystal malts and things you can use are, you know, crystal and 60, uh, Carapils, Caravine. There's a the new one, Caraphone, but that's not going to give you a whole lot of. That's more like a Carapils, right? So, attention. so that might help some. Uh, aromatics, biscuit, mall. You can explain, you know, ex- expand that and get into that. But I would keep that totally in the less than 10 percent, 10 to 15 at the most. But you definitely should, I think, use
1: a Caramunic or a Caravine. To get that to help. Oh, I,
0: for sure, put that in there, and then start, you can add in a little bit of the other ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't use too much of the crystal malts, uh, the English or the American crystal malts. You don't really want to have a caramel flavor coming right. through. But you could add to it slightly.
1: Well, those, they definitely contribute to an intense malt flavor. Right. Outside of the base malts.
0: But you don't want it to dominate. Right. That it will be a fault. The, you you probably won't like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kind of use these constraints to, to make your malt bill and brew it and see what you think. And then you can, there's a lot of room to play. Little this, little more of that, little that kind of thing. Uh, y- it'll really come through probably on your second or third batch. You might love the first one. Yeah. Uh, I've, what I've found is other people really like this beer. Oh, uh, yeah. Wives, girlfriends, yeah. next door neighbors, Chipper. everybody, yeah. They, everybody yeah. likes this one. It's a good good beer to bring out at a party. Be, oh, you're a homebrew? I've had homebrew before and then you you throw this at them and it's amazing how many people just can't believe it's a homebrew Mm -hmm. because it is complex it's clean it's hard to do well clean yeah yeah but there's some things we'll get to with those Uh, if you're going to do an extract uh, I would suggest using a couple of different kinds of extract don't stick with a single kind definitely blend them blend some Uh, you don't necessarily need to go all dark ones I would probably do mostly uh a pilsner or a, a light-based extract uh, used uh, some English. Yeah, English extract, definitely. If you can find maybe a little bit of dark. that That's going to build a malt character in there and really layer it too. If you're going to do a mini mash, do kind of what we were talking about with the base base grains. If you're going to do an all-grain, uh, stick with the 40 50% on those on each of those, and try to use... I would probably use one kind of extract at that point, if you're going to really? do a mini mash. Let's you not know, make it overly complicated. Yeah. Try to get probably 40% from your from your mini mash. So it's all
1: and, German pills in your mini mash? Yeah, German okay.
0: pills, uh, Munich and Vienna, probably, okay. is what I'd do. Yeah. Try to get probably 40% of your gravity points out of it. And then for your, your extract, what would you use? English? I would probably use, you know.
1: I would use an English. Uh-huh. I,
0: I, I would actually probably just go. Um, switch uh, it? That, yeah, English, or I even go something light. Okay. If I'm using extract, I like to stick with light. And if I'm doing a mini mash that much trouble, I'll use the mini mash to put the color in. Mm-hmm. Is but, that
2: a general rule for you? If you're doing an extract, you almost always want to pick a light extract? That's that for really me, it?
0: yeah. Why is that? Uh, th- because uh, I usually don't do all extract beers. And right. But I can get color and I can get flavor out of either steeping grains yeah. or I'm going to get it more out of my mini mash. Yeah. I I don't really know how a lot of these guys make their their different kinds of extracts. Yeah. So maybe they've got things in there that I don't want.
2: You just feel it safer if you use yeah. the lighter one. Yeah. Okay. I
0: can I can I if there's a flavor in the darker ones I don't want. It's kind of hard to mask it that way rather than build it up.
2: Okay. <laughs> Uh, b- before you move on from from green and color too, just back to that for a second, somebody had a question if you know about uh, Cinamar. Yeah, and and what you think about that as a darkening agent?
0: Uh, actually, I haven't had the chance to use it yet. It's a it's a coloring agent. Hmm. It's they it's malt based. An extract of sorts? Yeah, uh, it's kind of an ultra concentrated wart. Okay, and I think what is what's the S R M on that? It's it's high. Is okay. And you don't, you only you need, I think it's four ounces probably. I think they said in, uh, uh five gallons something like that. Hmm. I would I would keep that one for a Schwartz beer. That's what I want to try it in. I've got to get a hold of some, and I want to try it in a Schwarzbier because a Schwarzbier needs to be dark. <laughs> yeah. Without being overly roasty, hmm. and that's tough to do. That's what the ta- the challenge is on a Schwartz beer. You don't really want it to be roasty, but you know when you're throwing chocolate or black patent or Carafa, even in there, it's going to come through to get it that dark and not have the roastiness. Hmm.
2: Am I the only guy who thinks of Mel Brooks and Spaceballs every time somebody says <laughs> May the Schwartz beer?
0: And then made a
2: Schwartz beer with you.
0: You guys don't know what I'm talking about? I know you're talking about. Yeah. That's awesome. Sorry. <laughs> so, yeah, uh I'd like to get a hold of some. I just kind of was on the hunt to get some okay. for a while. Now, somebody here
2: had just gotten some and just wanted me to ask if you were familiar with it and then mm-hmm. use that as a. Be interesting. I I think that's yeah. you know, new product like that to try out.
0: Uh for a long time us as homebrewers couldn't get it. it. because they sold it in big tubs and we don't need big tubs of it. But now, now more and more the homebrew shops are starting to break it up into smaller bits for us and get that one. Does beer beer and more beer have that? I don't think so. I don't so. think so. Northern Brewer I think you might be able to get it. But uh that's probably next time I make a Schwartz beer that's what I'll be using is that cinema. All right. So mm-hmm. we've kind of gone through the base malts and getting those things through. That's, that's going to be your main goal uh, when you're starting to make this recipe, and uh, the extract and get that one. And when we come back, uh, we'll start talking about hops and the bittering ratios and things.
2: It's once I
1: Now, back to the Jameel Show. How are you doing, John? I woke up with a cold this morning. Man. So I'm all right. I'm so going Go have a beer. That's good. Yeah, thanks, man. Okay. I feel good.
0: <laughs> all right, so let's start talking about the hops in this thing. Uh, let's start out with the, the BU to GU ratio. That's the bittering units to gravity units ratio. A lot of people have heard about that, but they don't really know what that is. Uh, it's your bittering units and IBUs uh, divided by the gravity units. Gravity units, basically, take your 1050, use just the last two uh, digits, which is 50. Right. So if your IBUs are 25 and your your gravity units are 50, you're going to have a, like a 0.5 BU to GU ratio. And that that's a pretty good... Exam, you can really tell how how hoppy or how malt-based it is. It's going to be uh, closer to one if it's going to be more hoppy beer and uh, less so. So this one's going to have, a oh, about a 0.57, or that comes out to be about 25 to 35. Hmm. Uh, one good thing that the BU-GU ratio is going to do for you is if you want to change your Final gravity, mm-hmm. uh, either up or down, that stays the same, so you can adjust up or down your IBUs. So it's pretty pretty automatic to do that one. I don't
1: even know how to calculate my IBUs.
0: Uh, that's what ProMash is about. No, <laughs> <laughs> <That's> I, a, <laughs> I just look at the kettle and be like, huh, that looks good. Well, just just think of this. It's uh, you, You're going to have your starting gravity at 1050, okay. but now this one you want it bigger, right. and you want to have – you're starting gravity at 1057. Okay. So uh, use your 0.57 against mm-hmm. your gravity units, and that'll tell you what your IBUs range should be. Hmm. And then you got to figure out how what kind of hops you, or how much hops you're going to need to put in there right. to make those IBUs. Okay. But at least it'll give you the, your target IBUs. Okay. All right. So let's go on to... Uh, Hops, uh, which kind to use. Uh, generally for this one, again, it's a German beer. Noble hops is what you want to use. Mm-hmm. Hallertau is probably your main one. Uh, Tet, Saz, those things. Yeah, I think Saz. Mm-hmm. Um, you can use the U.S. descendants uh, for this thing, too, the ones that you know they bred from the Hallertau or from the other ones. Uh, Liberty comes up a lot. I've used that one. Uh, it's basically a Hallertau derivative. Mm-hmm. Sterling's another one, but that's a Saz and a Mount Hood. Uh, Mount Hood would be good. Glacier, maybe. You could probably use that one in there. Uh, Santium would probably be a pretty good one. Really? Uh, Well, it's a a Tet and Hallertau Cross. So, uh, again, you're not going to want to really be thrusting forward with a lot of hops in this beer. Yeah. So, uh, you're going to want to have... It in the background to balance, you got a lot of malt here, so, so you need you need to balance it, but you don't want to go above the point where you're gonna to have too many. You don't want a bitter. No. no, you don't want a bitter, and you don't really want a lot of a hop aroma and stuff. One thing like you said you don't want it bitter, mm-hmm. so you want to stay away from the high alpha hops. If you problem with high alpha hops, you can go over real easily. One pellet sometimes is enough <laughs> when you got you know 15, 16. Alpha Acid Hop, right. where when you're using a, a four, something around the four range, like a Hallertow,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you, you you can, you, can, you know, a little more, a little less isn't going to make as big difference than if you're using a Magnum a little more, a little mm-hmm. less. Right. And if you're not real diligent about me- measuring that mm-hmm. out, then you could easily go over. Plus, it's going to be a little harsher on that one, so it's not so much you want to do. Uh, basically, with this one, you're going to have... Two hop additions, one at the beginning of the boil, and for five gallons uh, with these hops, probably in the half-ounce half, half ounce range. Yeah, and then
1: maybe an ounce for the finish?
0: Uh, Three-quarters to an ounce okay. in, the, in the finish in the last probably 10 to 20 minutes of the boil. Right. I know that would kill Justin to only put that much hops in mean, here. He there. would throw Magnum in. Oh yeah. <laughs> no, he'd be looking at those two ounces of hops that he has, and just yeah. his hand be shaking. I know what that sissy shit is. You guys are talking
2: about. I'm gonna throw some hops in there. <laughs> yeah. It's
1: balanced, delicate matter.
2: <laughs> hey, I did have a question uh, about IBUs. Okay. Um. All right. An IBU is an IBU, no matter what hop it comes from, right? So, for example, you know what I'm getting at. I know that you would use less hops if it has a higher alpha acid to to get an IBU. But what I'm saying is, you know, one IBU that comes from an ounce of this and one IBU that comes from two ounces of that, it's still the same, isn't it?
0: it? Yeah, the IBU is going to be your measurement of bitterness. Okay. So it really doesn't
2: matter where it comes from.
0: No, it's just that's what what I was talking about Mm -hmm. with John. You you figure out where your target IBUs are and Mm -hmm. then figure out, usually with ProMesh, how you're going to get there. Right. Uh, hops change from year to year with their alpha acid content. Yeah. Uh, it depends on how long you put it in right. for and your, your conversion units. Uh, okay. One thing you remember is, uh, IBUs have about a five fold threshold. So you got to go up five IBUs before you'll taste a difference okay. for most people. For, okay. On the Some foul, people yeah. change. Yeah. You, so if you're going to mm. change, you're going to say, I want to up my IBUs, do it. About five units. Right. Then you're gonna, it'll be noticeable. Okay. You just, uh, if you go from 20 to 22, you're really not gonna notice it so much. Right. Okay. If you do 20 to 25, 25 to 30, that's, you start to, that's, and that's for most people. Okay. So if you people, put those two
2: beers side by side, most people are gonna know. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. And, and then
2: just as a side note, cause you mentioned using ProMash to do that, even the trial version is a free version, which I have, um, That's definitely one part that I did figure out how to use in the program. (laughs) Not that it's a complicated program, but there's a lot of things to it. It's cool to mess around with those IBUs because it allows you to put in what hop you're using, Mm. what the alpha acid of that hop is, and then adjust the boil time for how long it's going to be in there. And it's kind of fun just to play with the boil times. Of the same amounts of hops or play with the amount of hops and not change the boil time and see how your IBUs go up and down. Like, I- That's how I do it. I put it up to like five pounds of hops for the one minute. My ibus didn't change. They're like, it didn't mm-hmm. really do anything at all. But, but if, now if I changed it by just a quarter of an ounce for the one hour hop edition, the bittering edition, right. it changed the IBUs a
0: ton. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. you'll- I've noticed when I was, uh, figuring out the late hopping edition for, uh, the classic American Pilsner. Mm. Uh, the difference between 10 minutes and 20 minutes is pretty dramatic. Okay. Hmm. So you almost have to put, it, if you put it in at 20 minutes, you have to put about half of what you put in at 10 minutes. Okay, gotcha. It's a big jump. Yeah. At that point.
2: It's just cool to do. You should, you should, guys should download the free version of ProMash if you don't have it. Uh, if not, just to kind of mess with that. To
0: it'll, it'll, you'll, you. you'll notice what yeah. a lot of things, what they play off of. Opens your eyes about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Okay, so that's pretty much the hop thing. It's not a lot of hops there, and you've got some ideas to get through that one. You don't have to use uh, European hops. There's a few out there. If you go on uh, BrewMonkey.com, they've got uh, click on Brew School, and they basically go over a lot of the hops and where they come from, what the different levels of cohumulone and mercine and those kind of complements, and what you can use them for. They've even got. uh a little section for uh, substitution what you can use suppose you can't get santium what would be a good substitution and it's a pretty cool page got a lot of information there uh if you really want to know about a certain hop something i mentioned uh you never heard of it it even tells you if you know how much is being grown mm-hmm. and wow. the, yeah as we were talking last night it has to do with you know how long it's going to be around by how much demand it's going to have some I see hops come and I see them go. I sometimes I don't even get to use them before. I can't get them anymore
1: like Amarillo.
0: Yeah. That's going to be around a while. That's a pretty popular one. No, yeah. Okay, so let's go over to yeast. Uh, the four basic ones that I've kind of written down here are the Oktoberfest, Märzen Lager, German Lager, German Bach Lager, and the Southern German Lager. Uh they're all lager yeast. you got to play with them quite a bit and coddle them. Uh, they do have a bit of differences in all of them. The one I've kind of settled on, or the two I've kind of settled on, are the, the German Bach lager and the Southern German. I kind of mm. like those. It's kind of a softer, rounder. They're um, cleaner, too. They're cleaner. Uh, the Oktoberfest Marzen, as I was discussing with John, I didn't like the way that one came out. uh kind of just it's harsh. Well, it's got a lot of sulfur... Like the first three months, yeah it takes a long time for that to go away. uh the sulfur will go away it's, it's just a that's typical of a lager yeast mm-hmm. uh some throw more, some throw less, and it will age out uh but if you end into drinking your beer really quick, mm-hmm. you're probably not gonna like that one. well, the bock yeast is really good for a quick turnaround mm-hmm. it's very clean, yeah, uh I know Jamil really likes that bock mm-hmm. yeast and it's probably one of the wider used ones around for that. Uh, I usually split the batches and try the different yeasts, and I've pretty much been through a, a lot of these. I've tried uh, Bohemian Pilsner with it. Really? Uh How does, was that? Uh, a little cleaner, but it took away a lot of the maltiness, uh, huh. at least in, that I could notice then. I, I didn't really like it. wasn't bad, but I just didn't like the flavor profile. It's kind of you, know, you have two beers, and yeah. you're going to prefer one over the other, and, and that wasn't so one of them. Did you dry
1: your beer out, or?
0: It it was perception I think more okay. than anything else because the gravities were still there. Right. So it it just has you know the subtleties of a lager yeast that which is what a lot of this is. You guys know what the numbers are. Yeah. On those yeast. Yeah. Uh, the the White Labs is those are the numbers that I use. So the Oktoberfest is the 820. The okay. German lager is the 830. The German Bach yeast is the 833. If you're gonna try one, I, I would first start with that one. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Southern German Lager is the 838. Uh, most of them uh, have you know, similar characteristics as far as flocculation. Most of them are medium flocculation, although the Southern German Lager will clear faster because it's got a higher flocculation. Right. Um, fermentation ranges are you know in low. If you can't you know get it low enough. Uh, the Oktoberfest Margin is probably better if you're going to be around the f- 55 range, something like that. Uh, I try to ferment these lower, you know, below 50.
1: Like 48? Yeah. Okay. Yeah,
0: about that. Uh, the attenuations are kind of different for each one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can look it up on their website. Uh, probably the German lager, the 830 is less attenuative, so you're gonna, it's not going to dry it out. Uh, if you want to have it more tenu- if, Um that yeast also has a a lot of fruit character to mm-hmm. it. You know, it's
1: it, it's kind of overwhelming in my opinion. But
0: Japan, you just look at them side by side. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, where are your fermentation temperatures, where you think you can keep it, uh, what you want to have for flocculation. The flocculation doesn't really matter as much because this one's going to lay down for a while. Uh, hopefully, yeah. Now <laughs> yeah. Hopefully you'll be able to lay it down for a while and it'll clear. Uh, just not as fast. Uh, Attenuation is probably going to be more of a main thing for you, how dry you want the beer. Mm-hmm. And if you treat them right, you'll get it down to what you want to have.
1: One thing to note, too, is a German Bach I've used at higher temps, like 58, low 60s, and it still came out very clean and not that fruity. So it's pretty resilient to high temps.
0: Okay. Uh, yeah, it's uh, – the lager, the yeast are very finicky. They mm-hmm. don't like to, you know – temperature fluctuations they mm. freak out really easy. Everything's going to be slower at the at the cooler temps. They will ferment at a higher temp. Mm-hmm. But they throw a lot of things in there you don't want. Yeah, you don't want to do that. Yeah. They would love to be fermenting at 65 in the right. corner of the kitchen, but right. you know, it's not you're not going to get what you want. But they'll just everything's going to be a little bit slower. Uh, and it will come out but you got to baby these things. Yeah. What, we'll,
1: what about if you can't lager at those temperatures? What's that San Francisco lager yeast would you recommend that? Uh to did it, like the high 50s, low 60s, if you're trying, you know. Well,
0: what a lot of people think they can take the San Francisco lager yeast and ferment it at 65. Right. Yeah. Eh. No, it, it, I, I've i tried that just to see what happens, and it's not a good thing. Okay. It's okay, but not in this beer. Right. Uh, it. it not, again, side by side is not the one, I, not the keg I prefer to have. I usually go through the other one first. Right. Uh, if you can get the San Francisco lager, use, you know, at 58, 55, something like that, you'll get a lot better out mm-hmm. of it. But, um, you really need to ferment low. Ferment cold, yeah. Really cold All for right. this one. Um, okay, so let's, uh, go on to the next thing. Uh, water. i I could get ugly on this one, but let, let's just go real <laughs> simple with this. Uh, your water, moderate carbonate water. You got a lot of dark grains in there. Uh, so you really don't want to have it over carbonate water. But about, up to about 300 parts per million. 150 be even better. You want your sulfates to be low. So don't be adding gypsum back in there. Your, that's calcium sulfate. Uh, Sulfate has a tendency to bring out hop bitterness, and you don't really want that in here. And if you put in too much, it's going to get kind of a harsh bitterness, not what you want to have in this beer. So if you're going to add some calcium, you want the calcium to be 50 to 100 parts per million. And if you need to add some in there, use calcium chloride. Uh, calcium chloride is going to get your calcium in there. The chloride's going to round out the beer, make it you know it's more sweet on the palate rather than accentuate the hops. Uh, you don't really need to add uh, calcium carbonate or the chalk in there. Mm-hmm. You probably have enough in the water already, but you're going to need some. So if you're going to build water from zero, you're going to need to add some calcium carbonate in there. Uh, generally, probably tap water would be fine, but if you're going to mess with it and you actually know what your water's got, don't start throwing stuff in there if you don't know. Or yeah. just, just brew like you always do. If you filter it, filter it and brew with it. Uh, Water composition can get tricky, but if if you know what you're doing, you can really tweak this whole recipe to get what you want out of it.
1: Just ruin your one and one to ruin your bittering and your all your hops and your flavor in there. If you uh,
0: it'll it. it can shove it one way or the other, so you're not gonna have what you what you aim for.
1: Right.
0: Uh, I kind of try to explain to people simply what water chemistry is going to do for you is one's the mash mash pH. And that mostly has to do with the calcium and the carbon that's in there. Uh, and the other thing while well, all the other stuff is more for seasoning. Hmm. You want to bring out the hops more. You want to bring out the malt more. And that's what the other things, that's why you don't just add one kind of calcium to it. And
1: that's why you wouldn't add it to the style of beer either. Right. Right.
0: So, And you, if you add too much in there, uh, you're going to end up with kind of things and it's going to taste real minerally yeah. and it will come through in this beer right. especially with these yeasts you're going to get a minerally flavor okay coming through so like i said if you don't know what's in there already don't be adding yeah. stuff just brew like you always do you'll come out with a pretty good beer if you make good pale ales with your water you'll make good pa- you'll make a good margin with this one
1: right what about mash mash temperatures and stuff
0: that's what we're going to get to cool. all right the next thing is the processes so uh Let's go with the the prep ahead of time. You need a big yeast starter for this. It's a usually a high gravity, uh, you know, above you know 1056. It's a lager yeast, so you might want to start it a week before, maybe three four days. Doing it the the night before, is probably not going to be good enough. You know, building up one one yeast vial the night before.
2: This style sucks. You <laughs> can't put any hops in it. You can't do your yeast starter the night before. I'm out. <laughs> See ya.
1: <laughs> and you got to keep it cold, and you, you got to keep, keep it around for six keep weeks. Keep it around for six weeks. Who
0: invented this stupid beer? Yeah.
1: <laughs> and you're dating a German. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's the way it is, That's baby. All right, so a big E starter will help to get the terminal gravity down. Um, if you have to, a lesser starter. You're going to stress your yeast out, and you're gonna, they're probably going to poop out probably about 10, 25, and it'll be an okay beer, a little sweeter than you'd like. Yeah, so you got to do everything you can. The more you get in there, the better. I don't think home brewer-wise you're going to over-pitch this one. No. Uh, it will dry it out. You'll get it down in the 10, 16 range, which is probably just fine, mm-hmm. uh, but you got to plan ahead for that kind of thing. So I would start it a week before, feed it once or maybe twice a lot of oxygen when you do pitch and that'll you'll get a nice happy healthy yeast and you're pitching cold too right Doc? i'm pitching cold baby yeah see if i was to do it the night before one
1: vial i i would do it on the starter not even worry about it get it going the night before and pitch it warm at 68 and cool it to 52 within like 12 hours
0: i'm just trying i've turned out fine i would probably grow them up at i wouldn't grow them probably i'd probably grow them at Sixty, sixty-five. I wouldn't grow them up. Room temp. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm I'd, I'd trying to get it bigger rather than just wake them up. Okay. Do the night before, you're gonna, you know, wake up the hell, happy guys in there, but you're not gonna get a whole big uh, increase in cell count. If you can start it ahead of time, but you're getting them active though, You're getting them happy, yeah, right. and they're comfortable right.
2: and they're 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 but absorbing sugar and. Yeah. Which is the assumption that there's enough cells in that
0: vial already. Then yeah, there is. Yeah.
1: But uh, you're just waking it up like smack pack. Yeah. So it's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I would, if you're going to grow it, grow it. You're going to need some time to do that. Mm-hmm. Start it on Monday. Mm-hmm. Feed it again with a, some fresh wort on probably Wednesday. So you've got to pour off the wort? Some people do. Some people don't. If you've got a big enough jug to put it in, you just mm-hmm. add it to there. Okay. Uh, you, I wouldn't even decant off of that. I would just throw more wort on top of it. hmm Okay. And then possibly even once more the night before. Mm-hmm. Get it at a high croissant. So when you when you pitch... There you go. One thing you gotta remember though, if you're gonna pitch cold, it's gonna take some time to get that down. Oh yeah. You might not as soon as your brew session's over with and you start the cooling, mm-hmm. it could take you know, a good twelve hours before you get it down to where you want to pitch. So would plan you, ahead with your starter to have it at high croissant when you're gonna be pitching. Would you drop your tube after that before you pitched? Uh I would. Okay. Just have a cleaner. Have a cleaner. Mm-hmm. Um so let's go into mashing. Mashing, you want to mash at a high temp. Uh, 152, 154, you want to promote your dextrins to add, add the mouthfeel to it. Uh, again, you've got to be careful with that, uh, with the yeasts. If you do a lot of that, get that mouthfeel and a lot of dextrins, you don't want to finish high. You want to finish low in the you know, 10, 14, 10, 16 range mm-hmm. and have the dextrins in there. So you've got a mouthfeel, but it's still a drier beer. Yeah, rather than have a lot of dextrins, poop it out at, you know, 10, 25. Then you got a thick. Yeah, it's way too sweet. Yes, yeah, sweet and thick, and that's not what you want either. But you have a
1: hangover, too. Yeah. <laughs> How are you feeling, Doc? Oh, I'm oh, good. good. Good, good.
0: So let's see. Boil. Uh, 90 you, minutes, 100, 120 minutes, depending on what you want to do. Uh, you can boil 60 if you want. Uh, I like to try to get some kettle caramelization. hmm well, and that'll it, add color. It'll add color. It'll yeah. add some caramelization. If you're going to do that, you got to compensate for the water volume loss. If you're going to boil for two hours, you're going to lose a couple of gallons. Right. So make sure you add enough water in there to, you know, boil it back off. And uh, for your pre-boiled volumes, you can punch that into ProMash, too. Well,
1: what do you recommend? would you recommend doing a protein rest by chance to get more of the, the base malt flavors out of it and to... Get more efficiency than
0: i mean traditionally they do do protein rest so traditionally they're going to do decoction okay and they're going to protein rest starting at 122 right. and probably another decoction uh, to 145 and then probably 157 okay uh, if you feel like doing a A decoction mash or mm-hmm. let alone a triple decoction mash mm-hmm. go for it it's a lot of work uh this beer will come out really nice with just a single infusion sure And probably if this is your first attempt at this style, I would do the single infusion. Right. And then maybe move up to, you know, single decoction, something like that.
2: Yeah, I had a question about whether or not you would step mash in yours earlier on in the show.
0: I would because it's easy for me to step mash. Mm -hmm. I have a recirculation system, so it's easy for me. I I would probably do a protein rest, Mm -hmm. and then I would probably do 144, and then probably 157. But you could, if you're using a, a picnic cooler, it's kind of hard to be throwing water in there right. and do a step. It's a pain in the butt.
2: So just a single infusion is. Yeah,
0: if you don't have a way to recirc- and or raise the mash temperature, you could you know heat the heat the mash kettle too. That's mm-hmm. another way to do it. Okay. Uh, that'll caramelize it some.
2: Okay.
1: The great thing about protein rest too is it'll increase your efficiency. You know, 10 to 20 percent depending on y- your mash, whatever you're using. Um. Also, I think it also contributes to more of a
0: malt round flavor in a beer, too. Okay. It'll uh, also help with the laudering. So when you're trying to rinse the grains, it helps loosen everything up so it's not so thick. Hmm. And that's why your mash efficiency is going to go up. Right. Because you can rinse the grains a lot better when you don't have the glue of the proteins, big proteins in there. Okay sweet yeah
2: so more importantly someone wants to know if you have your jammies on today
0: doc no no <laughs> i've been up a long time i got up about 5 30 this morning so why uh needed to do prep for this show and my eyes popped open i guess i'm up right <laughs> so
1: it's hardcore doc right on right
2: on and you're brewing today too huh didn't you say that yesterday no i'm not I can no. do it
0: no i got actually i'm I, i'm Rehabbing the bathroom. My wife wanted to mm. redo the bathroom, so that's I'm going back and doing that. And then uh, we got a doze meeting tonight, uh, and we're talking about this style. And we're meeting. talking about this style. So we got a big club meeting tonight that I still got to get ready for. Gotcha. All right, so good stuff. You're I got doing. a busy day today. Yeah. Right, you better wrap it up then. Okay, let's wrap it up. Okay, hopping. I, I went through that again. Uh, generally, uh, two additions: one for bittering and a half ounce uh, for five gallons, and then another flavor of it at, at about three quarters. Fermenting, I like to keep it low, uh, 48 range, something like that. Uh, it's going li- to take a lot longer probably to ferment all the way out that low rather than at 55, but that's okay. You Get some time, leave it. Uh, one of the reasons why you want to get it off the tube to start, you don't really want it to be sitting for three weeks on that kind of stuff. So if you can, separate it out. Do do the Justin where you put in one carboy, let it settle, and uh, you know, suction it off and put it in the other carboy, then, then go ahead and pitch uh, diacetyl rest, you can do it if you want. Uh, basically a diacetyl rest is, is, the yeast is done for many, most of the sugars in there. They'll start to reuptake the diacetyl back into the cell and make it into other things, but you got to give them a chance to do that. You can do that with time. Mm-hmm. It'll do it anyway. Right. Or you can, it'll do it a little more efficient if you raise the temperature up. I would raise the temperature up at about, uh, about 1025 and you can bring it up to around the 60-degree range, leave it there for a couple of days, and then slowly bring it back down. You can raise it as fast as you want, pretty much. They like that, but they don't like to get cold. Right. So you can kind of trick them into it. Uh, you know, a few degrees a day or in a couple hours, you can you can bring it down slowly. Mm-hmm. Bring it back down to, you know, 1048 range and leave it there for a couple of days. Let it settle out. Uh Once you're done it'll clean up everything even at the lower temperatures just give it some time
1: how but long how long would you let it go without doing a diacetyl rest normal three. normal primary and secondary ferment
0: 3 to 4 weeks 3 probably. to 4 weeks yeah primary just 3, three weeks probably in the primary Okay. and we'll see what it's like at that point maybe another week in there like Jamil says he just kind of sets it and forgets it and mm-hmm. comes back later <laughs> uh, it's a lot easier not to have to deal with the diacetyl rest sure if you don't stress the yeast it'll, it'll probably not come out anyway so you know, that'll work. Uh, let's talk a little bit about lagering. Lagering is basically yeast cleaning stuff up. Uh, you, the sulfur that's produced by a lager yeast is going to off-gas. Uh, it also rounds out the flavor and mellows things out. Mm-hmm. So you can lager high at, you know, 40, 42 degrees fast. It'll clean up a lot faster at a higher temperature, mm-hmm. but it won't be as smooth and nice tasting as if you logger at 32, 33, wow. just above freezing. But it'll take longer that way. But everybody is in, this, in the same boat that says uh, it's a lot cleaner, a lot mellower a lot smoother taste profile when you slow logger. And it's going to take a lot longer at a low temperature to do that. Hmm. So if it's going to be lower, you're going to get a better flavor out of it. And it's going to take longer. But you can do it faster. Yeah and it's not just sitting there the yeast are actually active at that low range just a lot slower even at 33 they're still mm-hmm. yeah wow not doing a lot but they're slowly hanging out yeah hanging out taking up things and getting rid of stuff mm-hmm. all, right. all right
2: we got are you, are you are you done yeah i'm pretty much done because i got some Q and A for you x got five minutes to do these okay um okay back to research and whatnot uh, I want to know, uh, you know, how clear are you are you going for when you're doing that that recirculation? Are you, are you waiting till it's perfectly clear that you can see that? Because uh, some of the guys are saying that, that they do it until it's it's usually kind of cloudy still.
0: Uh if they're gonna be doing it manually, mm-hmm. uh, usually the manual way to do it is you take a bucket of some sort or a pot in the in the kitchen and run it off your mash. Pour it back over the top. Usually three or four times if it'll set the mash bed, and you'll see it noticeably clearer. And that's what you're looking for. If you pull it straight out the first time, it's going to have chunks in it, and it's going to be milky, kind of. After recirculating the pot three or four times, you're going to notice a lot clearer. And then, then you're good to run it off at that point. Okay. Uh, yeah. Fifteen minutes is about
1: enough doing that manually. It'll t- It'll totally run clear after 15 minutes, so
0: basically just do it a few times uh if you do it manually I have a pump so I just kind of run it all the time okay but you want to get the mash bed set and whatever it takes the mash bed's going to be different than it depend on the shape of the mash tun okay but it doesn't have to be crystal clean no okay. but you'll notice you, you're doing, you should do it that with any beer yeah uh, and at least get the mash bed set when i used to do it manually with you know buckets and you know saw horses and everything mm-hmm. i would probably run off half a gallon five or six times Hmm, or or a gallon possibly and pour it slowly back in and try not to mess up the grain bed right and when i do that by the way manually i use a i I use a pot to to drain
2: off the bottom and then i pour it into a strainer Uh, like i just hold a strainer over my bucket on the top so that it doesn't because you're talking about disturbing the grain bed, because if I were to just pour it out of the pot, it really kind of stirs up the whole thing. And I found by holding a strainer like, right over the top of the of the water line, I'm able to spread out that impact and it goes a little softer.
0: That I wouldn't do.
2: manual way. You wouldn't strain it out? Like no, that?
0: because then you're hot side aeration. It's just, oh, okay, I got you. Because it's hot enough to, to pick up oxygen. Yeah. And when you put it through a strainer, hmm. a lot more surface area is going to happen. So when I'm... When I'm resurking I, I have my mat, my sparge ring, which is actually beer coming through that that's that's down under the water, oh, see so you okay, yeah, so you could just set it on top of your grain bed, yeah, and yeah. do it that way, okay, I just get as close when you I'm when splash, I, yeah, I don't want splash, so I just get as close as I can and and pour it down, okay. back over the top of that one, that makes sense.
1: You also don't want to have a dry spot in your mash, too, so you want to make sure you have, let two to three inches of hot water. Right,
0: yeah. The problem with letting it get down too far is it'll compact it, Mm -hmm. and maybe not all over, but in certain spots that it gets Mm -hmm. compacted, you'll get channeling. So it won't rinse all the grains. It'll just channel down through a few spots, and your efficiency is going to go down. So by letting it keep a couple inches of water above, Mm -hmm. uh, then it doesn't – compact all the grain grains kind of get a little bit floating yeah and it keeps it from packing down
2: okay all right and then i guess last question of the day uh would be do you have any either one of you have any experience using saff and what temperatures
0: to ferment that at um,
2: dry use
1: no.
0: it's a dry i don't i've never used dry never used yeast.
1: it i've had good feedback from customers and they, yeah they've, they've liked and it and that's so. that's
0: one of the ones that i've got heard of good feedback mm-hmm. okay on that one
1: yeah, all those new dry dry yeast strains out there right now are pretty good. Saff US the US-56, the T-58, the Saff lager, they're all very clean, so okay,
0: definitely try them. That would have been a good question for Chris Graham last night. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we can always get back to that. All right, so next time on the Jamil Show, Jamil's back,
2: huh? It'll, it'll actually be Jamil. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, and American Pale Ale is the topic for you guys next mm. time, I think, John. Okay. So that's uh, two weeks from today. Jamil will be back with uh, tons of... Uh, jealous-making stories of Europe and, yeah, uh, and Belgian beers and and all of that. Hopefully he'll bring us some. Yeah, <laughs> he will. Come on, you got to have faith in that, right? Yeah. Well, we're not letting him in the studio if he doesn't. <laughs> he has to close the door. <laughs> yeah.
1: Turn around, buddy. <laughs> that's fun.
2: All right, so that's next time on the Jamil Show. If you hang around here, I'm going to replay last night's show. It'll be coming up right after this. So uh, stick around. It was a good show. If you missed it and you don't want to download it, you can just. Keep hanging out and listening. We had uh, Ralph Olsen from Hop Union on the show, and he was a cool guy. He was a good guest. And Doc slammed four beers in, like, 15 minutes. Well, because you, you paid me for it. Got paid. His liver made us uh, made us 150 bucks last night, John. Hey, all for the cause. Really? <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, Oz got, got it going in there, and uh, it was up to four beers and 150 bucks. That's hey. awesome. <laughs> what beer did you chug? Uh, two uh, Gordon Beers Hefeweizens, the... Uh, Oktoberfest and something else. oh Oh, uh, uh, Nuki Brown.
2: <laughs>
1: <Awesome. That's great.
2: laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. Next time on The Jameel Show, two weeks from today. The Jameel Show has been a production of The Brewing Network. Please send questions for Jameel to jameel at thebrewingnetwork.com. The Jameel Show airs live every other Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on The Brewing Network.